everyone, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and here at Redbeard Outdoors, I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors, and I get to have amazing conversations with people that also apply those four principles into their lives on a regular basis and share those with you on Saturday. I love sharing those conversations with you guys because in all reality, it's good to see other people applying these principles, finding success, and then being able to figure out and learn from them how we can better our own lives. So I've got an amazing guest for you today. And of course, on Tuesdays, I do Tinkering Tuesdays, mainly gear reviews, but also it's got to do with mindset, getting yourself ready for whatever your goals are, whether it be getting out in the backcountry, chasing elk, deer, bears, cougars, whatever it may be, or just simply getting in better shape so that you can live a longer, happier, healthier, more successful life. With that being said, guys, I want to give a quick shout out to the partners of the show and an invite to you to come over to Redbeard's Fit Crew. Here during the month of March, we are doing an amazing giveaway. How you participate in that is first, of course, join Redbeard's Fit Crew and then check that post for the giveaway. There's an amazing list of things that are being given, such as a First Form Outdoors backpack, Clean Freak wipes. We've got a couple t-shirts from First Form, $50 gift card from First Form. Uh, we're going to be giving away my Garmin Instinct and many other items as well going along with that. So definitely go check that out. Come join us. You are welcome. We want to have you. Now, going down, of course, our partners here, we've got First Form and First Form Outdoors, best supplementation on the market. But on top of that, guys, it's a community of people that are striving to become better. And you will find people in Redbeard's Fit Crew and the First Form Outdoors group that simply just enjoy getting outdoors, enjoy the adventure, and want to be better people. Then we've got Alpenfuel and Heather's Choice, my go-to meals in the backcountry, guys. Trust me, you don't want your gut torn up in the backcountry. These two companies smash it with flavor and the calories that you need and the healthy ingredients to keep you going and not feeling torn up in the backcountry. Black Ovis, local company, amazing guys, just a conglomeration of great things on their site between Black Ovis and Camo Fire. Definitely go check them out, guys. They have everything from backpacks to boots to glass to tripods, etc. You name it, they probably have it there on the site. Go check it out. All in digiscoping, best digiscoping on the market. A3 Archery Bowstrings, best bowstrings. I've run them now for about a year and a half and absolutely love them. No stretch, no peep twist. They're waxless. Just go check them out, guys. Trust me. Cryptech, my gear for day-to-day. My jacket, I love it. Uh, my jackets, I love them. Uh, they're just amazing. And of course, the pants. There's day-to-day gear along with some of the best camo on the market and constantly looking to innovate. Just a great company. Go check out Cryptech. Kestrel Glassing Systems, Quattro Archery Stabilizers, Absolute Aid, CBD, Affect Beard Oil, and then, of course, My Medic. Guys, they're local here. Great, great company. Of course, it's the gear that you don't ever want to have to use, but if you need it, you want to have it available. If you have any questions, reach out to me, or I can point you in the right direction of who to contact to see what you need to add to your backpack for camping, hiking, backcountry hunting, or even just your day-to-day vehicle so that you can make sure that you and your family are taken care of. Now, with that being said, guys, thanks again so much. Uh, Hopefully you are enjoying these giveaways that I've been doing just to give back to you. 
as the podcast has grown, the YouTube has grown, Redbeard's Fit Crew is growing, First Form Outdoors is growing. And due to that, it's because of you guys. I really appreciate it. And I want to give back to you with all this gear that I get my hands on and I trust. And I want you to have some as well. So keep an eye out for that as we continue to grow. Now, let's get into this conversation with Tony. Tony Pasek, he is a guy just like you and me. Uh, he has an amazing life that he has built between having a farm, uh, doing jujitsu for years now, loves bow hunting. I met him on the mountain at TAC last year. Just a great individual, him and his wife. His wife will be on a future podcast. And uh, just getting to hear how he has built this life for himself and had even dabbled in beef farming. So <laughs> you guys, he's had an amazing life, has learned so much in the the short amount of time that he's been on this rotating rock. So uh, definitely want to listen into this one. And without further ado, guys, here's Tony Pasek. Hey everybody, I've got here an amazing guest, Tony Pasek. He is someone that I met first uh, at Total Archery Challenge and through First Form, now First Form Outdoors. Uh, he's been doing some great things. He's an archer. He loves bow hunting. Uh, they do some awesome stuff on their property as well, which kind of makes me jealous that you have that uh, that ability to go out there and do those things. And uh, anyway, long story short, Tony's a hard worker and he loves bow hunting. And he's a guy like you and me that just is grinding it out so that he can pursue his passions. Um, you recently just won, was it elk shape something that you won the bow? Uh, okay. December Chub Challenge. Yeah, perfect. So we have that in common as well. Um, and so yep. just amazing things. You've been doing some great stuff. You love jujitsu. I could go on and on as to why I wanted you to be on the podcast. But again, normal guy, um, not Insta famous or anything like that. And he is just grinding it out. And I love that. So now that I've done that introduction, Tony, uh, <laughs> who yeah. are you in a nutshell? Yeah, my name is Tony Pasek. Uh, I live up in North Texas. I'm from Texas originally. I've lived all over a bit, you know, Florida, Arizona. Um, always been a very avid outdoorsman. Didn't get into hunting until later in life for really no other reason other than access and getting introduced to it. Um, as you mentioned, jujitsu is a huge part of my life. I've been practicing since 2008, so it's 15th year now, um, with a little three-year off break. That's a you know non-issue. Uh, my wife and I have some land in North Texas. We've got a little hobby farm. Um, had a brief stint in teaching ourselves how to be beef cattle ranchers, which that's pure comedy. Uh, we've got chickens, a donkey, longhorns, four dogs. Uh, we love RVing and, uh, you know, we both share a lot of similar passions for, you know, the outdoors, jujitsu, hunting, archery, um, healthy lifestyle. You know, she's uh, huge into working out, um, has a really good platform for that. And, um, that's, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of those different details and, and topics, but that is what encompasses me. That's awesome. And that's, that's amazing. And uh, you guys, I mean, you, you said you had a brief stint as cattle ranchers, so we definitely <laughs> want to get into that a little bit as well. But man, since 2008, you've been going to jujitsu classes and training. And um, what what's your belt? Uh, brown belt. This is about my fourth year at brown belt now. That's amazing. So for yep. those of you that don't know, uh, that's one of the higher uh, belts. That means you've been training for a while, you know your stuff, 
obviously you're going to be humble and say that you don't know as much as black belts, blah, blah, blah. That's part of That's part for the course, but you, you are, I mean, that takes not only just skill, but that takes dedication because um, even just to get your blue belt takes a couple of years. And then you go from there and then having had your brown belt for four years, all the years before that, that you put in to get your brown belt, that's impressive. So um, that that's kind of something that, that people out there listening need to understand that it's not something that you can just quick rank up. Uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot of dedication. It also has a lot to do with the people that you're training with your instructors, uh, seeing that you're putting in the work consistently, not just that, you know, the stuff, but that you're there, you're showing up, you're helping others. It's a whole community thing. And I love it. I absolutely love it. So that's awesome. More than almost anything else I've ever done in my life, I think that I get a true sense of community from you know my jiu-jitsu school. Um, I you know again I mentioned earlier that I have moved around a little bit growing up and you know after college, so I've I've had three different home schools. You know, in the sense that I started when I was at Texas Tech. There was a school out in Lubbock. Uh, ultimately moved out to Orlando, Florida. Was training at a school there, and then. When I was done, my time in Florida was finished and I moved back to Texas. I moved to the Plano, Texas area, and that was January of 2017. So I've been at this school ever since then. I mentioned that my wife and I do that. Uh, she's she's a blue belt as well. Uh, it's something that she took up an interest in in 2020. So over the last couple of years, we'd actually entertain the idea of moving out west the majority of our hobbies, whether it be hiking, bow hunting, RVing, we love the mountains. And, uh, you know, we live in North Texas. If anybody's familiar with North Texas, you can watch your dog run away for two days. You know, it's, it's pretty flat. <laughs> and the conversation had come up even to the point of listing our home for a brief, I think, eight days. And we had something like 16 showings and we're like, okay, hold on. We don't even have a plan. And the one thing that really put the brakes on all of it above and beyond, you know, are we going to find a house in Colorado, Utah, Wyoming? How, how easy is that going to be? The one thing that came up in every single conversation was our jujitsu community and how difficult it would be to attempt to recreate that. There's schools everywhere. There are, you know, academies where you're able to go in and try a few, depending on the size of the city and try to find the one that fits you. But, what we have found here is something that's extremely special. We know that it, it is rare. And, you know, when it comes to the community side, you're, you're nothing without your training partners. Uh, you know, it is, it's an individual sport in the sense that it's one-on-one -on -one grappling combat, right? But there's almost no way to get better or progress without training partners. And you need high level training partners. And that is something that, you know, this school provides. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners, you know, for the last few years, jujitsu has really increased in its popularity and people have you know, dived into that to really see if it's something for them, especially as you get older, guys in our twenties, thirties, forties, you don't have as many athletic opportunities, um, you know, to, to really push yourself in something that you can go for a long-term practice, you know, you can play basketball at your local gym and you can do your softball leagues and there's nothing wrong with those, but there's something very different about, you know, martial arts and being a, a lifelong martial artist. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it's a, it's a joint suffering kind of yes. event. I mean, <laughs> you know, that it's, it, it's funny to say, but at the same time, like in all reality, that's, it's true. The, the, when you suffer with people, that's where you form some of your hardest bonds. Um, you know, that's why, you know, for example, marriages that last, they've been through some rough stuff, you know, there's things that, that happen in those marriages that have formed that bond that, you know, other marriages don't have, and unfortunately may not last. And so, you know, things like that, it, it, it's just, it goes to show you that jujitsu, I would agree with you hundred percent, unless you're a star athlete or you're in college sports, et cetera. Um, it's hard to find a sport that you can continue in through your thirties, forties and on, um, and, and have that kind of bond. And so, and jujitsu is great for that. It's, it's crazy to me, the little bit that I have trained. Um, and then I, I took off during hunting season. And then, um, the place that I went to is an amazing gym, but it's a, it's like a 40 minute drive. And, and I was taking my son to it. So we would spend two hours there and then two hours driving basically. So it was almost a four hour event twice a week, um, for us. And, and I loved it and he loved it. Uh, but I wish they had a school a little bit closer so that we can make a more, more of our routine, you know, um, either way, it, it's, it's funny to me to see, or not funny, but it's interesting to see that you're rolling around on the mats and it, it doesn't seem like you're putting in a lot of effort, maybe from someone from a, a, that doesn't know what you're doing on the mat. Um, but you see these guys walking out and I've walked out just drenched in sweat and I might've moved a foot during that, you know, those two, three minutes. Uh, but all the energy that's being put into it and that, you know, just the mind games and and trying to focus on your breathing, because that's something else people don't think about when you've got someone that's 100 pounds heavier than you on top of you, it's a little hard to breathe and you don't think about it. Then you get the headaches because you're trying to muscle out of things. And uh, man, there's so many things that go into it. I'm sure you had it. You probably don't anymore. Uh, but I remember my first day back uh, training jujitsu. I forgot about the muscling thing. And uh, I was like, man, I'm going to keep this guy in my guard. Like he is not breaking my guard. And so my, my feet are just locked. Right. And he couldn't, he couldn't get out. He picked me up everything and he could not get out of my guard. Next day, my calves, like I couldn't walk. Like it just, it just hurts so bad. The strain that I just put holding him in that, you know, oh man. But uh, anyway, jujitsu is an amazing sport. Uh, I'd recommend anyone go out and try it. Uh, it's applicable for self-defense in just about any scenario you can think of. Um, and and I, I would highly recommend that people go and, and do that. And for the community aspect, like what you were saying, that's that's another great, great thing. It's incredible um, to finish on that as well. I think that that's something that uh, what I've found in my years of training is the vast majority of people that walk in for their first day at class, they don't know what to expect. and they're all pleasantly surprised at how welcoming the community and, and the school, the entire class is of somebody new. Uh, I don't know what the preconceived notion is that a lot of folks go into it thinking that, you know, everybody's, you know, going to want to bully me or, or beat me up. And truly it's the opposite. We get so excited to see a new person come in because we view that as another training partner, somebody else that's going to be in there to fill the role of a training partner for you um, as an upper belt. It's important to be able to teach technique. You know, I truly believe that you don't 
fully know something until you can teach it. And jujitsu is something where I am able to break down the aspects of what I know and transfer that knowledge. And what I hear from so many people at the end of class when they're shaking hands, like, hey, thanks for having me, is, you know, I've actually thought about coming here for three months, four months, and I sit on the couch and I psych myself out of going. And the amount of courage that it took them to walk through the doors the first time, knowing no one, uh, I really respect it. So anybody who is considering, a, you know, trying jujitsu, seeing if it's for them, that is something that you're not alone with in thinking the unknown, right? Having that anxiety level of the fear of the unknown, not knowing what it's all about. Go in there, shake some hands. Every school I've ever known offers at minimum a trial class. Generally, it's a free week to come in and, you know, get your bearings, meet the instructors, you know, train a little bit to whatever your comfort level is. And uh, that is something that having only recruited my wife, like my friends hear me talk about it ad nauseum for years. And I've never had anyone actually go and start. Um, I wasn't overly pushing it with my wife either. Even when we were dating, it was just, hey, this is what I do this many days a week. Um, and she took an interest in it. And now it's something that is such a part of her life and her training aspects that uh, her, her training routine, I should say that, that she loves it. Since then, I've had one other friend get started. He's got a couple stripes on his white belt at a different school across town. Uh, but it's something that'll teach you more about yourself than I could ever put into words. So I really am just a huge proponent of martial arts, you know, for the kids, the family, doing it together, couples, um, you know, there's a million reasons to walk through those doors, but uh, what you're going to get out of it is more than I could even describe. Yeah, no, for sure. It's uh, another thing that people don't think about. So just, just kind of breaking that down for kids with, with, with boys, uh, my son, I, my oldest son is just destructive and he doesn't do it on purpose. I call him entropy embodied, but uh, my, my youngest son is very he doesn't recognize his own strength most of the time and he 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 beats on things and hits things and and not on purpose but he's got a lot of um, we call them you know big emotions and i don't want to break him of those because i feel like those emotions are going to come in handy you know in certain aspects of life it's going to be good that he wants to argue everything as well i don't want to break him of that as well i just want to channel it in the right direction and so what i notice with jujitsu is uh, he enjoyed the competitive aspect of it. Like he always rubbed it in my face that he had more stripes than me, whatever, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. like that, right? He, there's always some competitive with him. And, uh, and, and he loved it when he got a stripe. He loved uh, learning something new. He loved practice. He loves practicing with me at home. Um, the little bit that we do know, and it teaches for young men who are, who are taught in school to sit all freaking day boys are not meant to do that. Women naturally handle that a lot better, but in their minds, women are like all over the place in, in their bodies. They're able to sit there for the most part. I'm speaking very generally, obviously men and young boys, they have a hard time controlling. Like if you think something, you want to go do it. That's just naturally what, what boys want to do. And so my son, you can call it ADHD, whatever you want to call it. Um, I hate all the diagnoses that are out there. Like that exactly. bugs me. 
And so uh, for, for him, it was good to be able to channel that energy into something and learn what is good violence, what is good, you know, being able to put your hands on somebody in a controlled way and also being comfortable with someone putting hands on you and not freaking out. Because most people, you know, unfortunately, kids get kidnapped, right? Um, things like that happen. You need to learn to be comfortable in those uncomfortable positions. If you're a woman, you need to be comfortable in that uncomfortable position and learn how to use your body to beat someone, you know, in whatever way possible to get out of that scenario. There are so many things that are uh, super important that are taught in jujitsu because like I said, forgetting to breathe, that naturally happens in a panic situation. That's why panic, panic attacks happen. If you get comfortable being uncomfortable, learning how to breathe through it, you have the advantage in all of these different scenarios. And it's something that I feel like, even though you may never use it in your entire life, it's like that analogy of the parachute. You know, you'd rather have one strapped to your back if you're in an airplane than not, right? You ra you'd rather you'd rather know that it's there and available just in case than not. So um, I think there's so many aspects to jujitsu that are that are really important for sure. You make a great point about the breathing. That's something that I've seen like since I first started, I, I mentioned I started uh, training whenever I was in Lubbock. I was uh, I graduated from Texas Tech. So we would have D1 athletes coming in and, you know, football players interested in learning martial arts. Well, they're used to being able to throw around incredible amounts of weights. They're high level athletes. And to see a 165 pound brown belt or black belt be able to effortlessly keep mount on a, an individual like that. And within a minute generally is where their football cardio is so different than cardio on the mats. And I do believe you're right. It, it's something of a, a panic induced breathing that it's not healthy at all. It's not going to help you in any sort of stress situation. And I've actually thought about that. I mentioned I, I got into hunting later in life and there's so many there's podcasts, there's YouTube videos, and people talk about buck fever and target panic. I've never experienced that. And it's not to say that I'm immune from it, but I do believe that as you were talking about your son, of the qualities and traits that he's going to learn from doing martial arts and how that's going to fold over, how it mixes with his personality and his active style. Um, I think that that's something that has benefited me you know, in the woods, hunting elk, hunting mule deer, um, whitetail here in Texas, that it's, it has never been a factor. I've been able to stay composed. Breathing's not an issue, uh, you know, even at elevation after trying to, you know, get up a hill, get up to a ridge and cut in distance, you know, you bow hunt the mountains, you understand all those things that are factors. And there's only so much of the regular training that we can do here in our gym and around the property. But there has been a direct correlation from my time on the mats and understanding breathing to that carrying over to those very high stress scenarios that it's not been a factor, thankfully. Yep, exactly. It's, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting because I, I talk about it and we, you know, my son's done some little trial classes with karate and things like that. And I, I think all martial arts are great. There's something different about jujitsu and wrestling, which isn't technically a martial art, I don't think, but wrestling and jujitsu um, 
coincide in a lot of ways in that aspect of learning to control those panic emotions. And also, again, learning, I, I think it's very key for people to learn how to have hands on, control the violence, you know, as a, as a young man, controlling, <clears throat> you know, the desire to punch things, hit things and all that, learning how to channel that energy. And then also as a young woman, learning how to be okay in those scenarios and not freak out if something did happen, heaven forbid, and you can protect yourself at least enough to get out of that scenario and not freeze up like a lot of people Absolutely. do. And so like what you're talking about, where it applies on the mountains, you know, it, it's something that for me, um, I just really, really want my, uh, my children to understand that part as well. Because again, there's, there's great discipline that comes from Taekwondo, karate, uh, you know, and a bunch of other kickboxing, boxing, et cetera, but that's a lot of explosion. And mm -hmm. I feel like having that constant, like someone's forehead in your sternum is not comfortable. No. <laughs> at all no <laughs> it doesn't matter how much they weigh gi, your gi up against your neck like that you know choking yeah. like things like that are just i don't know of any other sport that can change uh the way that you naturally react to situations like that as much as jujitsu and then partially wrestling as well if that's something that um you know you have closer to you maybe you don't have a good uh, jujitsu school uh close to you but anyway We've gone way down yeah. this rabbit hole. I love that yeah. because it, it's, it's an amazing sport. It really is. And I, I encourage so many people to go towards that and put their kids there rather than, you know, the typical karate, et cetera, because Absolutely. again, it just teaches kids something so different, intangible and tangible that, that I can't find in any other sport, you know? So Completely agree. Anyway. yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this uh, cattle farming a little bit here. What happened there? What What did you got? Why did you choose to do it? And, uh, how come you're not doing it anymore? <laughs> did you eat all the so, cows? <laughs> oh my gosh. We have a lot of full freezers. I'll tell you that. Um, so when we tell this story, it always starts with a very key word and it's accident. We got into beef cattle ranching on accident. So in 2019, we purchased a property out here in North Texas. Uh, we're on 25 acres. And the thing that I wanted more than anything was in Texas, Longhorns, uh, they're, there's a phrase for them, pastor art, pastor ornaments. Uh, they're pretty, they're like a fingerprint. They're all so different, whether it's their horn shapes, their hides, the different colors. And I was very ignorant to what we were buying. And my wife, Amy Jo, she likes to remind people that, well, Tony bought a bull off of Craigslist for $500 and we should have known. Well, lady shows up and she acts like she's real sweet. She's like, ah, you know, I just got to get him dropped off before I go to church. And, you know, it's, there's some banging around inside of this livestock trailer. At the time, he's only like a year and a half. So we're not even talking a 700 pound bull. And she's like, back, back away from the fence. You know, this, this is a new area for him. He's going to be a little, little jumpy. It should have been a dead giveaway right then. You know what? Um, keep him on the trailer. He's yours. Well, we let him out and kind of just from the jump, he had a look in his eyes um, that turned into him running through fences, uh, jumping over fences Anytime we would get near him, he would just throw his horns. And this is not normal of longhorns. It is definitely genetic. 
And that's something that we've learned ever since is that there is a term for a freezer bull and a breeder bull, and they truly do dictate their own fate based off of their temperament. Uh, it just got to a point where it was a constant issue uh, of safety, really, more than anything. And we have another friend who she's very involved in the Longhorn community, especially. She's got beef business. And we had bought a cow-calf pair from her a couple months afterwards. So at the time, we had you know, three Longhorns on the property, one being that really aggressive bull. So we called her up and it was like, hey, what? what can we do? What are our options? Because we can't sell him to somebody else. We already know, you know, what he is. And that's not something that we would ever feel right passing along. And she's like, you know, um, this is definitely an opportunity for y'all to fill your freezer. And she talked to us about the whole process and she's like, you know, I'll bring the kids over. We'll, We'll bring a trailer, we'll catch him. And I've got an appointment that we'll give to you guys. No problem. Just pay the processing bill. So that's, that's what happened. We get a call a couple weeks later, beef was ready and we get, you know, seven boxes of every single cut and, you know, everything from bone and ribeyes, tenderloins, everything that you're going to get from a steer. So we're filling our freezer and, you know, that in itself was a blessing, you know, to, to know that we are set with beef. We know where that food came from. We know what he ate. Uh, we know he didn't have hormones injected into them. It, that was important to us. And mm -hmm. when we first were eating it, it's like, there's a very noticeable taste difference. So my parents would come up, uh, you know, to visit the house as it was a definitely a fixer upper project. And whenever they or other friends or my wife's family would come over, we would always send them home with a little bit of a care package. You know, here's some ground beef and a roast. Uh, and we started getting phone calls back and they would say, hey, we don't want it for free, but can we buy more beef from y'all? That turned into us, you know, speaking with our friend and talking to her about sourcing a couple more steers. And what we were going to do at that point was facilitate shares for some friends and family. You want a quarter, half, whole, fill your freezer up. You know, this is something that we can do. We've got the resources. We've got the, uh, the connections. And so we started taking a couple orders there and helped our friends that way. And this was towards the end of 2020. You know, there was a huge rush on every sort of supply and the thoughts of, you know, there wasn't even, you go to the store and you would see the beef aisle completely empty. And it was something that we never even actually noticed because since filling our freezer, we never walked into the beef section of the grocery store. Our phone number got passed around a little bit. And from there, an opportunity presented itself when our friend was buying a, a larger order, you know, filling a trailer from a ranch that needed to, to sell some, some beef steers. So from that, uh, we had said, hey, if we let's let let's buy six or eight of them and see if we can pre-sell this. We've had so many inquiries. So my wife made a post on Nextdoor. Um, she made a, uh, told some other friends. And from there, I think we sold every single share within three weeks. So at that point, it ended up being eight total steers. We sold them out. Um, wow. We were delivering beef uh, 
first week of December of uh, 2021. And we ended up at this really nice community that's here in North Texas. And I call it a retirement community. But if you said that to any of the residents, they'd lose their mind. It's a gorgeous community. They have literally everything there except for a gas station and a grocery store. And every Friday they have a farmer's market. So we were delivering because a lot of the customers who found us on next door were residents of that community. And the question came up, it seemed almost every other house, hey, are you guys gonna be selling at our farmer's market? Well, we had no idea they had a farmer's market. We did our due diligence and tracked down the woman who was the, the head of the wellness committee who handled the farmer's market. And we had decided, you know, there's such a demand for this, as health conscious as my wife and I are, we were getting such great feedback from friends, family, and customers just with the appreciation of this is grass. It's not just grass fed, but it's grass finished, you know, meaning that that cattle has only ever eaten grass and water for their entire life. You know, no grain, no finishing out on a lot of the traditional type fillers or fatteners that, you know, the, the cattle industry is known for. And as we were talking to so many of our customers, they had an appreciation for that. And that's when we realized this has a business opportunity, uh, you know, really in the sense of being able to provide to our community something that's as important to us as it is and put in our application. We went and did an interview with them. And from there, we ended up getting our approval like the day before our wedding that we were in, whenever we got back from our elopement ceremony in Colorado, that we would be able to start at the very first Friday farmer's market. And that's how we dove into that. And it was truly by complete accident. My only experience on any sort of farming growing up was that I had an aunt with a ranch uh, 40 acres or so outside of College Station that was essentially my brother and I's summer camp uh, between, you know, paintball guns and fishing and all sorts of stuff out there. They had a chicken coop, right? So I didn't grow up knowing any of this. And the opportunity just presented itself for, for my wife and I to, to dive into that. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, man. You know, we, we kind of do the same thing. We've got a local guy that we get, I think we, we do a quarter or a third, um, probably every year, every, every other year or something like that. Between that and game meat depends on how well yes. I've done. Yeah. <laughs> no. Big factor uh, but, there. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a big factor. Either way. Um, that's generally where we get our beef. When we run out of roast cuts, that's really the only thing that we'll buy from the store. Um, because my wife likes to make a roast almost every Sunday. So having, having one of those stocked in the freezer for, you know, 52 weeks, that's, that's a little, little tall order, but um, you know, that's, that's really something that's key because you mentioned that you didn't notice in 2020 when the run happened on the meat, I didn't either. And I had people <clears throat> that were messaging me and just telling me about it. Just, it would come up in conversation. I was like, Oh, I, I, like we'll buy no chicken idea. from the store, but we don't buy red meat from the store really, except like I said, roast. Um, and, and that's it. And so, uh, I, I think that's awesome. And something that's key for people, like people look at, for example, I, I think I saw your mug. Is that a Fieldcraft survival? 
It is. Mugs. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. a lot of people look at, look at their stuff and they're like, Oh man, I have to do this and this and this and this and this to be ready. And what's really key is just kind of taking those baby steps and having those things provided for you, whether that be through hunting or supporting local guys like yourself, uh, where you go and, and you buy a quarter cal or split it with some of your neighbors. Um, it's really not, it's, it may seem like a lot up front, but if you have a freezer and then you actually kind of do the calculations, it's a lot cheaper to buy wholesale from a local guy than it is to keep going back to the store and buying meat every time you need it. Um, and it's healthier for you. It's better for you. You know where it came from, you know what it was eating. Uh, you know, there's no wordplay on, you know, whether it would be grass fed, organic, blah, blah, blah. Like you can, there's so many loopholes to all that, that you could slap organic just about on anything. So, um, it's, it's something that really is important, uh, for people as, as you're looking to be more prepared, um, you know, and, and be able to take care of your family. That's one of the better options, uh, is to be able to go local, provide for your family that way, or go hunting or both do a mixture of both. So I think that's pretty awesome. You guys aren't doing that anymore. I'm assuming. Uh, no, so we scaled away from it on the business side. Uh, unfortunately, mm. as, as a lot of people have seen, it, the cost of everything has gone up. Uh, so mm-hmm. the winter months out here, you know, you're having to supplement with hay and round bales that used to be 40 to $55 are upwards mm-hmm. of $200 each. We know diesel has just about doubled in the last two and a half years. And mm. processing costs have gone, they have exactly doubled. So mm. it got to the point where, you know, you're right. When you were talking to people about if they have the option to purchase a quarter or a half, it does seem as though, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand dollars upfront is a significant amount. But if you do the math on it, you'll find that depending on what your local rancher is charging, you should it will end up costing you less per pound for every cut that you get than what you're currently paying for ground beef. And I can't guarantee what any other areas of the country are going to charge for a half steer. I can say that that should be somewhere around the $1,500 mark. And with that, you're going to be at somewhere between 150, 175 pounds of beef. So if, if you are paying that amount, and what you're getting back, you're not just looking at that dollar amount, but you're looking at what you're getting. You could likely go out and put eyes on their ranch and see where those cattle are living. Um, for us, it just got to the point where, you know, there's only so much that you can charge for a steak, a roast, or a pound of ground beef to still try to make a margin when you know, our processor, because we were using a USDA facility uh, that was important to us, was three hours, a little over three hours each way. Um, the cost of everything just made, unfortunately, it made the business not profitable. However, with that, it is something that uh, we've got a YouTube video teed up so that we can post that on our channel to share with people the different routes that you can take to source purchasing a share, uh, whether it's going to fill a whole freezer yourself or share it with family or some, you know, a couple other families, uh, because it is important to us. We know that we'll never buy red meat from the store. Uh, it is something that we will always you know, have a beef steer. 
that we process that way or have a contact that has a beef steer that we can purchase, have that processed and fill. Um, but source the source of our food and also the treatment of that animal is extremely important to us. So although the business side of it had to, to end up getting shut down just for financial reasons, what you get from you know sourcing local beef that is ethically humanely raised and again grass finished it's a huge thing you you made a great point talking about the different play on words uh, there's i don't want to go down a rabbit hole on it too much but being involved in the beef business to the extent that we were we we're privy to a lot of you know different legislation that would come through because there's groups that are looking to get support and there is something that a lot of people need to know in its country of origin label. And when I found out about this, it made me sick. But what it states, to paraphrase it, is that as long as a, you know, a beef steer walks off of a trailer onto the United States dirt alive, then it can be labeled product of the USA. I don't agree with that. I, you know, if there's countless different practices in Central and South America that, you know, they don't have governing bodies like the FDA, they don't have testing facilities. And if you're going to the store and you're purchasing it under the guise of it being American beef or organic, you know, much of the different words that can be on every single label, you truly don't know what you're getting. So take that into your hands and Try to source your beef. You know, if you're going to eat beef, do your due diligence. Find someone local. Um, uh, th there's a lot of different ways to do that, but to us, it's really important to to know that source. Yeah, no, for sure. That's definitely something that, that you know, I, I I call it the word game because my kids play it all the time. Um, adults do it too, uh, with a lot more you know mal intention behind what they're doing. But like my kids, for example, the prime example that just pops into my mind is when I'm like, hey, did you load the dishwasher? They're like, yeah. Well, what I mean is, did you load it, put the soap in it, click the start button? And what in their mind, they're like, yeah, I loaded it, but you didn't do the other steps, right? And so like, it's kind of that word game that, you know, unfortunately, um, people that want money, that's what it boils down to, um, for the most part anyway, money, support fame, whatever it is that people are pursuing, they want to play that word game in this, in this instance, to, to get that, that U.S. support. It's like products, you know, that get this, they, they can weasel their way into saying they're U.S. made products, but where's everything sourced from? Where's the labor coming from? Like there's certain wording in there as well that uh, from your U.S. made products, you know, so it just, you, you do have to do a little bit of due, due diligence. And that's why um, it can become difficult. And I think that's another thing too, that I, I, I most people don't want to do. They don't want to take the time. They want to trust the label or whatever they're seeing. And unfortunately you can't, if that's genuinely what you want. Um, yeah. you know, I'm, we're big protein meat eaters here at the house. Um, I'm a big proponent of protein being a, you know, a, a it, it will help with longevity. I mean, every single organ in your body is composed of protein i mean it needs protein right it just to break it down make it super simple you can go down the science go watch huberman go watch all the other people that are smarter than me but i can guarantee you that um the more protein you get in your body 
you know, to a certain extent, your body's going to function better and you're going to feel better. You're going to recover better from jujitsu. You're going to recover better from the mountain. Um, and so knowing where that comes from and the hormones that are in it uh, is definitely a big, big deal. So, uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. And it's cool that you guys still do it for yourselves. I understand it can get yep. a little busy. And, and also, obviously, if it's not financially lucrative, but it's taking all your time, uh, that can get a little hard to, to maintain as well. So, but it's cool that you guys experimented. You dabbled in it and you figured out that yeah. you don't want to do it, but, but you learned a lot. We learned so much. It was quite the experience. So, yeah. You've got a lot of time consuming uh, hobbies. So you've got jujitsu, just time consuming. <laughs> I mean, think of all the years and hours you've put in over those years. Uh, you decided to be a beef cow farmer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you have a farm. And mm -hmm. uh, you're a bow hunter, which, again, yes. most people will understand as bow hiking out west. Um, I know you don't do so much bow hiking out east, but uh, but you know, either way, the rate of success is a lot lower than rifle hunting. So you spend a lot more time. You're training constantly. You're always making sure your bow's tuned. Uh, you're, you know, if you're like me, you're always tinkering with different stuff, which is uh, oh, yeah. fun, but it's also time consuming, uh, yes. you know, all, all of those things. So. Um, why bow hunting? Why not, you know, rifle or anything else? And what's kind of your journey there? It's a great question. And I simply respond to that one with, for me, I am naturally attracted to activities that have a very high attrition rate. Uh, to me, I'm always looking to get tested. You know, like you were saying, it's, I do things that take a lot of time. You can't just get good at them and then stay good at them. And I also appreciate things that I'll never perfect. So my sport growing up was golf. Uh, I, joke, I jokingly tell my wife because all of her friends, husbands play all the time. Now they're taking an interest in it. I was like, I was good at golf before it was cool. You know, I, I played, you know, all through high school and everything, you know, and it's a sport that you're never going to perfect. Um, when it comes to bow hunting, though, I think that truly does encompass all of the difficult aspects. Um, first off, the weapon system. It's extremely precise. Uh, but that same precision, a couple degrees, another direction is not precise at all, right? It's a complete miss. Um, there's a factor of bow hunting of getting extremely close and intimate with the animal and to the point where I know you've experienced it. You can be a couple yards away and that animal goes from not knowing that you're there at all to the wind hits the back of your neck and it's all over. It's done. And Ooh, that's that little like thing that changes and it's horrible, right? Um, in Texas, the hunting culture, and I'll preface this by saying I'm not going to make a lot of friends saying this, uh, but for my hunting journey, I just would rather be upfront and honest about it. The hunting culture in Texas is such that start with the, the public private land. I believe the number is something around 3% public land mm -hmm. and whitetail or jumpy. So I will give you that there. And I, I have done a feeder hunt it took me doing it to realize that it just didn't appeal to me um 
and again, I say this knowing that there's going to be comments of, well, you need to do this. You need to management. They're overran. It's like, I get that. Enjoy it. But to me, hearing the feeder go off at four o'clock, um, it, it does. It just doesn't do anything for me. And that is why, you know, living in Texas, my wife and I, we have points in multiple states out west. Uh, we always hunt Colorado because of, you know, their over-the-counter options. And we will bank all of our time off so that we can go out west and hunt with a bow because the challenge. So I, I think first and foremost is the challenge that you get from that type of hunting in that environment with those type of animals. Um, and I'm in the middle of reading a book called The Naturalist and it's a Teddy Roosevelt book. And the way that they describe a naturalist hunter is something that really spoke to me. And it's something, I'm gonna butcher the line completely, but the idea of it is that a naturalist hunter enjoys being a part of that environment, being a part of uh, hunting that animal, as opposed to going out to dominate the terrain, the environment, the animal. And mm. that is something that really excites me. I remember hearing my first elk bugle in the middle of the night hunting. I don't know if it was three in the morning. And our alarm clocks were probably set for 4.30. I was as awake as your son is on Christmas Eve. There's no way I was going back to sleep. Uh, walking through the woods and hearing, you know, whatever the sound is, whether it's raking, bugling, wallowing, um, or not the sound, being able to put eyes on a mule deer buck before they see you. Um, to me, taking my bow into the mountains, knowing that the odds are very much not in my favor, to me, that's what really gets me going because the success means so much more. You know, you talk about the attrition and how that that attracts me. Uh, the same thing with jiu-jitsu. There, there's five belts in jiu-jitsu and you're gonna be hard pressed to find somebody that has a black belt with less than 10 years of training experience. And there's something that comes with that accomplishment. Uh, you know, social media, it's a double-edged sword, but one of the things that September and October roll around there's plenty of people that uh, that put down bulls. And I don't even like saying the phrase big bull because to even get an opportunity at a legal bull is incredible. Our first year, we didn't even see one. So when I see someone have success, to me, there's a, there's a, a relatability knowing because you just know what it takes. You know, you go to a jujitsu school and you see somebody with a brown belt or a black belt you don't have to know anything about them. It doesn't matter how much money they make, what job they have, anything. That belt alone, it's in a sense a resume that you don't have to know that person, but you know the work that went in. And I feel the same way whenever I see archery hunters having success in the mountains with a bull or a buck. And, and that's something that, understanding the attrition because you've put yourself 
into that arena. You've done the practice all year. Like our bows, the only reason they have dust on them is from walking through the mountains on the trails. It's not because our archery pro shop room has dust in it. You know, they're constantly being shot. You know, you talk about the time that it takes. My wife, incredible archer. Uh, but one of the things that she loves is she loves that I build her arrows. So you've got someone like me, like I'm tinkering with my equipment constantly and I, I get really in a sense more reps because I'm able to build more errors, try more things, um, mess around with all the different pieces of equipment that you can change up and, you know, just to try to get that little bit of an edge. And for me, finding the edge to then find success. Um, that journey is something that really attracts me because that journey is ever changing. It's constantly testing you, but it's also something that you learn from as long as you're going into it, you know, with an open mind and wanting to be a student, understanding that you're not going to be perfect. Uh, I go into that accepting that every experience I'm going to learn from and it's not based on just the success. I definitely get that 100%. It's, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I went down the route of saying that it was okay not to tag out. And I was kind of justifying myself with that because I do enjoy the journey, but it's two different successes. So, you know, like what you were saying, whenever I see someone that's knocked down a bull or a buck, um, and it's not on a farm, uh, yep. that's that for me is a, a big deal. You know, some people are going to be like, Oh, he's tiny, whatever. I, I disagree because, you know, I can see different arguments. You want to not kill the younger bulls and bucks because you want them to grow. You want the population, blah, blah, blah. I get that. But also knowing what goes into hunting and the fact that I've been in it a couple of years and still have yet to knock down uh, an elk, whether it be a cow or a bull, now that's me being picky and not wanting to knock down a cow, but, um, you know, it, there is different levels of success. You do need to enjoy that journey. And that's what keeps me coming back. And, uh, it's definitely something that's a, that's a big deal. I, I, I find it interesting that people that are in it for the long haul, not just because it became cool on social media, um, is because they enjoy the difficulty and they don't, it, it's a constant theme in their life. It's not just bow hunting. Like you like jujitsu, you like building homes, you like building your equipment, <clears throat> you like working out on top of jujitsu, you like lifting weights, you like working on a farm. That's not easy. You know, all of those things are not easy things and they take a lot of, there's a lot of days that you put in effort and don't see a result. And I spoke about this quote, um, it was either this, this last Wednesday or the Wednesday before, <clears throat> but just talking about how everyone, especially in this day and age, wants that quick result. Everyone wants that uh, reward, but what you don't see are all the tears that people sowed to get the joy that they have of that one moment of five, six years of elk hunting, they get to harvest a bull. Um, you know, you don't see all the labor, the effort that went into building arrows, testing out different fletchings, testing different draw weights, testing different bows, uh, your, your workouts that you're putting in the jujitsu, the years and years of jujitsu, you know, someone who 
who walks into a jujitsu gym and doesn't know anything about jujitsu may wonder why the different colors. But if you know anything about jujitsu and you see a brown or a black belt, you're like, wow, like this mm-hmm. dude's been here for a while or this chick's been here for a while. Um, and it's a, it's a different level of, of respect. So I think a lot of the, like the social media comments and stuff like that is it comes from lack of education and ignorance rather than stupidity. I can't tolerate, tolerate stupidity, but ignorance I can understand. And I like to, to educate people and help them out. Um, but you know, it's something that, again, it's a theme in your life. It's a theme in a lot of people's lives that I've noticed, uh, you know, Dan, elk shape he's been doing hard things he does hard things that's what he enjoys doing um you know it's just a different kind of of person that really enjoys bow hunting for bow hunting um going back to the texas feeder thing there's a time and a place so again the reps in the red zone right testing out your buck fever you're going to get buck fever whether you're walking i actually kind of find that i get less of a reaction out of myself when I'm hiking and find an animal than when I'm sitting and an animal comes in. I don't know if it's because my heart rate's already high, so I don't notice that jitteriness as much versus when I'm sitting and something walks in. But testing yourself in those different environments, I think there's a time and place for that for sure. But it's not it's not the same as the journey of hiking a mountain or stalking in on a whatever it may be, a bear, a, a mountain lion, a Turkey, you know, sitting there calling turkeys in versus sitting over a feeder. There's just difference. Yeah, you know, there's a difference. If you're if you're one of those hunters that really just sits in front of a feeder, more power to you. You're gonna fill the freezer probably a lot more than I will. Um, oh, yeah. But that's not that's not my style either. You know, I I really do enjoy getting out and and getting after things in in the back country or even just here. Like I'm so blessed here in Utah. You know, I can go out. And a 10 minute drive, I'm at five, six different trailheads that I can go up and I can hunt the moment I'm at the trailhead. Uh, and, and it's, it's awesome. I absolutely love it. So I'm not, I'm not jealous of the, the private land that you guys have out there in Texas, but, uh, you know, again, time and a place. And, uh, if you want reps in the red zone, that's de- and you have a connection in Texas, that's definitely a place to go, uh, to test your stuff out, um, and, and to fill the freezer. But if you want the experience, man, there's nothing like coming out out west, Colorado, Utah. Um, actually, don't come to Utah. Uh, <laughs> keep going to Colorado. Y'all have a gorgeous state. We love that state. It's so awesome. There's it's so beautiful. much I haven't even tapped into yet. I need to go and explore the Red Rocks and all that southern portion of Utah. But um, yeah, it's again just going back to it, guys. Like it's it's a different it's a different experience bow hunting when you do it i guess there's not a right and a wrong way but if you're if you're doing it for the for the reasons that we just explained it's a completely different experience than just shooting a bow flinging arrows um you know it's one of those things where you see an animal three four hundred yards away and that's when your hunt starts Mm -hmm. it's not okay i can sit down and 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 fling lead Uh, you know, it's, it's, I need to find a route. What's the wind doing? Uh, am I smellier than normal? Uh, you know, like where's the crunchy walk path, you know, the path Mm -hmm. that you're going to walk where all of those things go into. So, um, that that's awesome. And again, like I said, I, I love that. That's a theme in your life that you do hard things, um, and you're consistent with it. 
and and you found success in multiple different avenues of of your life there. So um, I guess what would be just to kind of wrap it up here, what would be something that you would uh, that you've learned over these last, I don't know, probably decade. Well, it's been 15 years of jujitsu. How long have you been bow hunting? Uh, 2019. Okay. About to be my fourth year. Yeah. Perfect. So between, between the jujitsu finding success there, your brown belt, um, and then your years of bow hunting, uh, what would be something that you would want to leave with maybe someone that's just getting started or is thinking about quitting because they haven't had the tag out success that everyone wants? What, what would be something you'd, you'd leave with that person if they were sitting here? It's a great question because it's applicable to both of those different arenas. Um, I think it starts first and foremost with a ego and expectation overlap. It's very important to me to always remind myself of the phrase, run your own race. You know, there's there's people that started something at an earlier age than you. There's people that may have had successes, you know, whatever you deem success to be. Uh, sometimes people are just faster learners. But if you understand that running your own race is where it's going to keep you comfortable and it's also going to allow you to count those wins because your wins are very important. Um, social media does make it seem as though like if, if it's not 350 plus inches, then it, it may as well be a spike. And I, I just, I don't buy into that. I think every single win that you can have, having goals and milestones in your journey of everything that you do, uh, I, I think those are extremely important to keep you on the path and keep your perspective shaped in such a way that you keep confidence in yourself and you have a pride in yourself and your accomplishments, but you also don't rest on that and you don't find it to be something that uh, that you just allow that good enough to be good enough. Um, and the other part too, I, I know I make a lot of analogies back with jujitsu, but it's, it, it is such a mirror for life and personalities that, is, that I've seen because I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of people come through a door and the amount of people that end up staying, I refer to them as the usual suspects. Uh, last <laughs> night, my wife and I were saying, I was like, you know, one of the things that I love about it is that when you go, new people do try it. But one of the things that I think is unfortunate is that lack of self-confidence because of the expectation that people put on themselves of I need to be better faster does lead to attrition being extremely high. And I think there's plenty of people that have a, you know, two or three year old bow that's been in their closet, you know, six months after they bought it because maybe they went out on a hunt and things just didn't go however they expected right? Whatever their expectations were, that didn't happen. And going to class, we say, it's like, I bet if I asked you to write down seven names and if five of them were on there, you'd get a hundred bucks at jujitsu. You could do that because we know the people that put in the reps, that put in the time and they just show up. And it's the same with hunting. You know, you make a great statement, bringing up Dan, uh, Dan Staten at Elk Shape someone that I really admire and respect 
because of his work ethic and his positive attitude. But I also like that he doesn't sugarcoat stuff. I grew up in a house where sugarcoating was not a factor. Uh, if you did something wrong or if you weren't good enough, it was highlighted in the sense that, hey, you need to learn from this because those are the results that you don't want. I'm not going to sit here and participation trophy you and make it seem like everything's okay. If you wanted to make that team, cool, there's next year. But you're not going to make it by doing the same things that you did this year because you didn't make that team. And it's this the idea of being comfortable being a beginner. You said that you're, I believe, four years in also. Yeah, it's about four, four or five. Years, yeah. yeah. So, you know, to try to put that amount of time experience mixed with the expectations of looking at the rafters in Dan's gym, it's all it's going to do is shrink any bit of self-confidence that you would have going into it, uh, going into this year's hunts. And I, I really do believe that self-confidence mixed with discipline and expectations are where you get your results. But understanding that your journey is your journey, your accomplishments are your accomplishments and things come in time. You know, some people on their first year out are going to have a monster walk 23 yards in front of them and put an arrow through it and get that down. And that is going to happen. And I'm happy for them. But for the vast majority of people that are going to go a few years, shoot, Dan, I think he didn't even have success with a bow until year seven five or years. six. It was seven. seven okay. Years. To me, People would look at his posts, they see his YouTube following, they see the rafters in his gym, and I guarantee you, they think it's easy, he's got it, they just walk out in front of him, he always picks the right spots. That guy spends every single day <laughs> thinking about elk hunting, tinkering with everything, has an incredible balance of you know between him, his wife, they're two kids and the business that he's built, but also his passion and he's gotten good at it and people can say luck all they want. And the more things you do in life, the older you get and the, the more difficult trials that you go through, that you do find success. Y'all are going to find that luck is the tiniest factor of all. And it really does come down to, can you look back at the previous days, months, weeks, years and say, I did the work and yeah, I may have been blessed to have an opportunity, but capitalizing on those opportunities came from all of the work that you put in, uh, the mindset that you had, your expectations, and also just running your race. And I, I think that that's to me, the absolute most important part. Yep. No, exactly. I, I would agree, agree with you a hundred percent there. It's, uh, you know, you can't compare yourself to others. There's so many factors that go into it, but what you can do is compare yourself to your yesterday. And like you said, run your own race. Uh, that's, you know, uh, for good and bad, social media puts things out there for people. Um, and, it makes them have false expectations of reality and uh, people just need to check themselves and, and realize, you know, like, like you said, Dan's been doing this for, I mean, for decades at this point, 
and he killed a bull first 15 minutes of his first hunt and then decided to go to archery and didn't kill for seven years. So, you know, uh, and the dedication and the time commitment, everything that goes in behind that, just like you would jujitsu and, and, and things along those lines, like it's just, it, it's something that is big for people, especially new people or people considering getting out of it need to just yes. take a step back and, and think about. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that and, uh, yeah. I appreciate your time. Thanks for hopping on. You obviously are a busy person. You've got stuff going on and, uh, being able to share that with us, uh, here on the podcast. I really appreciate it. So, um, where can people find you if they want to look you up? Absolutely. First off, thanks for having me. Uh, it was a great conversation. Um, so traffic wise, I would say Instagram it's, you know, at Tony Pasek. That's, that's my account there and YouTube. My wife and I, we started a YouTube channel at the end of last year, and that is something that we've taken very seriously. It's having some pretty good growth right now, and we're excited to share, you know, it's our farm life, our RV travels, our hunting trips, especially, and that is Texas to Table, and I'll get you a link there. That way you can put that in any sort of show notes, but that's where they can find uh, my Instagram as well as our YouTube channel. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, guys. Go check them out. I'll leave the links down below. And uh, like I always say, guys, get out, live your life, and love it. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did having the conversation because Tony is just a wealth of knowledge and experience. And as he continues to grow in archery, jujitsu, farming, everything, guys, definitely go check out his channels down below. Between him and his wife, they're just knocking it out of the park and just creating this life of of just passion that they really enjoy and are being successful because again, they go back, they fall back on the faith, family, fitness, and getting outdoors, guys. They apply that to their lives. And Tony's a great example of that. So thank you again so much. And of course, go join us over at Redbeard's Fit Crew. Again, guys, we're doing rucking in March, calling it March Madness. You definitely want to get in on the giveaway. But if anything, come join a great community of individuals. We want you over there. If you got something out of this podcast, which I really hope you did, please leave a review. It helps more than you know. It's free for you and it takes very little time. Leave a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, definitely go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've got great things coming up. We've got some events that we're going to be doing as well. And uh, as far as that's concerned, guys, just thank you. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And of course, get out, live your life, and love it.